Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest for you today, Mr. Peter Raybar. Peter, thanks for being with us. Earl, it's great to be here. Thank you uh, so much for giving me this opportunity to uh, spend some time with you today. Oh, I am looking forward to this. And and listeners, uh, you know... What I want you to know about Peter before we get in this conversation is is Peter is a workplace legal expert who guides clients through the most important decisions of their professional lives. After almost 20 years of representing major international corporate clients in high-profile matters, including over a decade as a chief employment attorney for a major global media company, Peter founded the Raybar Group, a boutique employment law practice based in New York City. He specializes in representing individuals, including C-suite executives, media personalities, and other professionals working in finance, media, sports, real estate, fashion, and tech. Now, I'm very interested, uh, and one of the reasons why I'm eager to have you as a guest on this show, uh, with that background, I'm very interested to hear how you answer that first question where I start off all my guests. When you hear the phrase, responsible leadership. What does that mean to you? I knew you were going to ask that question, Earl. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I do have an answer prepared. It's, it's not a long answer, but I, I, I did think a lot about it. And I thought a lot about, you know, the leaders uh, I've worked with over my career and, and the ones I work with today who I, I love and have great relationships with. Um, and, and I've, and I wanted to start by saying, you know, every leader has to know that being a leader is a responsibility, right? I mean, that's got to be your first step. You have a responsibility to others, the ones uh, you're either working with or, you know, given your military ba- background, you know, leading uh, in a military exercise or, or, or some similar uh, activity. So, you know, to me, the first thing you got to start start out with is is understanding that being a leader itself is a is a responsibility. But to me, the the leaders I admire the most, um, and and my definition of responsible leadership really re- revolves around this concept, which is you need to feel that it's important to build trust with all of those people who work for you, so your employees, um, your clients, your customers, and and you need to understand it's a two-way relationship. And so trust is at the center, for me, of being a responsible leader. 
and and working to build that trust with everybody uh, in your universe, whether it's at work or on the sports field or in a TV studio or on a military battlefield. Um, that's got to be your primary mission. Now, there are qualities that I see, you know, uh, that that effective and responsible leaders have, you know, and 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 to me, there's there's a few that stand out, um, you know, having vision and are being able to articulate that vision to the people you're working with, um, integrity, courage to make difficult decisions, have difficult conversations go into difficult situations, uh, humility, knowing that you don't know everything, building out a team that could help you uh, understand those things you don't know and tackle those problems outside your comfort zone, compassion for those working with you uh, and who rely on you. And, and, and especially in this day and age in 2023, flexibility, because as we've now seen you know, over the past three years, the the direction of the world can change on a dime. And, you know, the people working for you and with you, they're going to be looking to you for, you know, guidance when that happens. And uh, you got to be ready to have your game plan totally changed uh, for circumstances you, you may or may not have foreseen. So, I wasn't planning to give a long answer, but maybe that was a, a little bit long. Uh, but for me, it all it all starts with understanding, you know, the trust uh, obligation and and building that trust. Yeah, no, I I love it, and you know, it's like we talked in the pre-show workup, and like I tell all my guests, there's no right answer, no wrong answer, just your answer, and uh, I, I love that answer, right? I mean, that was a, a, an all-encompassing answer there, and uh, I really hope that listeners kind of uh, go back and and really. Uh, uh, really take that in because because I, I loved that answer a lot. So thank you for for putting that time and effort and, and thought into that because that was that was a good one. Um, so I, I gotta ask, um, why why workplace law? What what got you interested in uh, employment and, and workplace law? Wow. Uh, so we're, we'll, we'll go back a few years. Um, I've been practicing over 20 years now. Um, and, you know, growing up, uh, there was obviously a lot of TV shows about lawyers that I think first got me, you know, interested in, and I was a, a child of immigrants to this country. So, you know, I, I didn't have parents who, you know, had a lot to offer in terms of guidance on career and career choices. A lot of it was my own exploration and sort of figuring the world out for myself. And so I, I went to college with with the firm goal of uh, going to law school, uh, which I did right after uh, right after college. And my uh, one of my real passions in life is sports, and I, I wanted to actually be a sports lawyer. And so when I uh, was at Georgetown for law school. I, I, I did some research on, you know, where I could go be a sports lawyer. And there's a, a firm in New York called Proskauer where um, a lot of people seem to do that type of work that represented every league. And um, David Stern is a Proskauer alum and Gary Bettman is a Proskauer alum. And many people, and Jessica Berman is now the commissioner of the Women's Soccer League is, is someone I worked with 
very closely uh, at Proskauer. And so, you know, my goal was to to get there. And, and when I got there, you know, I, I, I found that the best cases and the best people to work with were labor lawyers, employment lawyers. And I love working with people. So that was a way to, to do that, too. So it sort of checked a lot of boxes for me. Um, and, you know, uh, ultimately, I wasn't that interested in continuing in, this, in sports law for a variety of reasons, but uh, I did enjoy working on people issues and, and cases that involve people, not as opposed to just contracts and money and things like that, although a lot of cases involving people involve money, too. And, uh, you know, that's that's where I started. I, I, I That's how I got into it. And I, I did you know, six years at Proskauer. I did 12 years at Hearst leading their global employment strategy. And then, uh, you know, I really wanted to flip sides. So I came over and started my own firm about six years ago. And now I work really closely with executives and individuals. No, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Poor, uh, poor Gary Bettman, right? I'm uh, all, all my NHL fan listeners. Like I, I could hear them booing as soon as you said his name. I, I, I always feel sorry for him whenever he he comes out on the ice at a uh, at a game because like he just gets booed everywhere he goes. I feel sorry for the guy. Well, I mean, he is. I, I mean, I've met him many times. He's an incredible. Uh, he's an incredible leader. I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, he always has the best interests of the game uh, at at the top as a top priority. Yeah. And, you know, everything he does sort of comes out of comes out of that. I mean, he's not in it for himself. Like, as you said, as you say, like he he gets booed frequently and I don't think he cares, <laughs> you know, like he he may care on some level, but it's not going to affect his decision making is what, it, what I'm trying to say. I mean, he has incredible integrity, he has incredible focus, incredible vision um, and and really a lot of the qualities, you know, I talked about at, at the outset. Yeah, no, and I think there's there's a great lesson there because you are 100 percent right. Because one of the things I admire about the guy is is the the louder the booze, the bigger the smile is is uh, you know, and yeah, he takes it in stride. And I guess you know, leaders there there is a a big lesson there, right? Is is you know, you're not always going to be the most popular person in the room, but but uh, as Peter said, you know, if you're making the right decisions for the right reasons for you know for for the integrity of of your organization and and all that. You got to learn to to take the the cheering and the jeering and and have a smile on your face because if you let it get to you, like if he didn't have that that mentality, like I, I just I, I don't know I don't know what his mental state would be like if he didn't have that strong mentality. So yeah. I, I admire him on a lot of levels. He's he's an incredibly strong and confident person. I mean, and and you have to be in that role. And, and you have to be as a leader of any organization. I have a lot of clients who, you know, work in high pro- profile positions and um, have their decisions, you know, not only scrutinized by their employees, but by media and, you know, social media, et cetera. And sometimes, um, you know, you've talked about this in some of your, your, your prior episodes, you know, that I listened to before coming on today you know, sometimes people get elevated into leadership roles with no real guidance of how to conduct themselves in those roles, how to be prepared for what comes next. And one of the things that 
you know, new leaders are almost never prepared for is that criticism and how to deal with it. And if you take it too personally, um, you're going to fail. Uh, and, and, or at least you're going to set yourself up for failure. And what I, what I like to say to my clients is like, look, the higher you go, the harder the shots are going to be at you. And, you know, you just look at, like, you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, that, that guy doesn't get attacked every day. I mean, multiple times by thousands of people, by governments, by, you know, talk show hosts, by media beat reporters. I mean, it, it doesn't derail, you know, his vision for that company. And we could debate, you know, whether that's a good vision or not. But like, ultimately, you can't deny the success of what he's done from the outset, despite all the, you know, criticism he's received over the years. So, you know, I tell a lot of my clients, like, look, you know, if you believe in what you're doing, and you're doing the right thing, you know, and people want to criticize you for it, then great, that's a notch in your belt. But that means people are paying attention to you. <laughs> and that's going to happen, you know? Oh, yeah. So. Well, yeah. And, and it takes me back to one of the, what I, I call one of the greatest pieces of leadership advice that I got it was actually outside the military. Um, and I think I mentioned on here uh, a few times before, uh, it was a gentleman um, named uh, Phil Fuller and uh, he called it the 60, 20, 20 rule. And he said in, in leadership, every decision you make, you're going to make 60% of the people happy. You're going to piss 20% of the people off and 20% of the people aren't going to care one way or the other. The only thing that changes is what person falls into what category from decision to decision. One decision, you're going to make somebody happy. The next decision, they're going to be mad at you. You just got to get comfortable with them popping categories. Uh, and, and I think that's true. Uh, I think that's it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. And, and it's one of the important things. I mean, I, I uh, you know, at, at, at the outset, you know, talked about um, compassion and it's really important for leaders in, in, in my, my context is the workplace because that's where I, you know, operate. It's important for leaders to remember that it's not all about you and, 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 and how happy you are and, and how you feel. I mean, of course, that's something that's important in the whole equation, but I like to say, and, and I'm not unique in saying this, a lot of people say it, but like, if you're leading a company, you know, you're working for the employees and the people under you. And, and so if you're doing the right thing and you get criticism over it, you know, you shouldn't worry about it because of how it makes you feel you know, and, and your ego. I mean, the important thing is that you're, you're doing the right thing and you're doing the right thing for your employees and the direction of the company. And, um, you know, sometimes there's going to be disagreements and differences in opinion. And, and so it's important to hear them and understand, you know, what they're saying and, 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 but, you know, bruised ego is not, not, not too many people are going to care about that, you know, or, or, or should they? Well, well, I think that is a beautiful segue into to one of the the topics uh, I, I'd like to ask you about. With uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that you've you've probably talked ad nauseum with uh, uh, with clients of, of all stripes about this lately, uh, and probably have seen 
all matter of opinions on um, is, is, you know, kind of reintegration, return to office policies. Should I bring all my people back into the office? Should I continue remote work? Should I continue telework? Um, and not just as an employee or an employer, but from the employee perspective. So, you know, what kind of trends and insight are you getting uh, as, as more and more organizations are back to work and struggling with making telework and remote work policies either phasing out or like more standard practice going forward? Well, um, I can tell you that this is the, as, as you said, as you imagine, this is the number one thing I feel like I've talked about uh, for the past two, three years now. And, um, and in New York in particular, this is a very big issue because obviously so many pieces of the New York City economy revolve around people coming into work. And there, there is a lot of pressure to bring people to work every day in this city and, and many other cities. Um, here's what I'm seeing right now, and, and I feel pretty confident in, in what I'm about to say, just based on my experience, is that it's a very industry-specific decision um, regarding return to work, uh, because the return to work policy is just one part of the overall you know, battle that's going on right now for the control of the workplace. Uh, and, and so what you have is the overall trend of, and, and reality, it's not just a trend of employees having more leverage uh, in the conversation about, you know, what the work condition should be like, what the workplace should be like, et cetera. Uh, and, and employers really struggling with that. You know, because employers are are used to having all the control, making all the decisions about when you come to work, when you go home, what the office looks like, where you sit, you know, what you're doing, um, right. all those things. Th those are all open for discussion right now, um, and and so you see different industries dealing with this in different ways, uh, and. You know, the other thing that's really pushing against this, and I think the most important thing is, is the tightness of the job market. You know, last week, despite thousands of layoffs that have happened, you know, since uh, late last year, we learned that the unemployment rate is at its lowest level ever of 3.1%. So, you know, uh, what's that saying? Uh, is that there's, that's saying that there's still this very tight job market where it's very hard for some employers to just say, come into work every day. Because the consequence of that, if an employee doesn't want to come to work, is you're going to have to fire them. And in a market where you can't hire people, you can't find enough people to hire, are you really going to fire someone over not coming into the office? And, and in, in some industries, the answer is, yes, I will. Uh, but in a, in most right now, the answer is still no. I, I I can't do that. So one example that's very near and dear to me is the the legal industry, uh, and there's a lot of law firms in New York, as we know. Um, they had their best years ever during the pandemic, 
and I talk to, to friends and clients who run big law firm offices in New York, and they're literally pulling their hair out over how to get people back into the office. No one's coming. They all have policies that say three, four days a week, and barely anyone shows up. And it's not just the young, younger generations who aren't coming in. It's the, it's the more senior partners who, who think like, hey, I'm getting everything done. I don't have to commute an hour. Uh, and, and so why should I come in? And, and I'm part of the group that makes the rules. So, you know, every industry is different, uh, in finance, that would be very difficult to pull off. You know, there's a lot of pressure to come in. The job market isn't as good, uh, in finance right now. So those people are in every day. Obviously, if you work in retail service industries, you know, you have to come in. Um, tech is really a mixed, mixed bag right now. So it's it's a live issue. It's it's not a dead issue, and it's not a everybody has to do it one way or the other issue. It's very industry and company specific. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that that makes total sense, and I think that's I think that's just the way it's going to be uh, going forward. Like you said, I mean, you know, if you're in a hands-on, you know, it's going to be very hard to. Uh, remote work uh, and uh, automotive assembly line job, uh, you know, um, and, and I think that is really going to be the key for for leaders and, and people in leadership and decision making roles is is having that flexibility. Uh, you know, I'll throw around some of the the catchphrase buzzword type stuff, but you know, having the emotional intelligence, having the uh, the leadership skills, having you know all of those things to be able to to, to make those decisions, right? Does this position have to be here? If not, how flexible can I be? But also keeping in mind, and I think this is the one thing where while it was really popular to kind of, you know, get on Elon Musk for his return to work policies there, when you really look at what he was saying, it kind of made sense of, hey, all of our factory workers are going to be here. So it makes sense for our white collar workers to be here because they're no better than no one person is better than another person. Was that the right tone? Probably not necessarily the way he delivered it. <laughs> right. As, but, as with most Elon Musk things. Uh, right. But you know, you, you get that because you know, there, uh, and I'm sure you kept up on this. There was that kind of and there's always been tension between white collar, blue collar workers, but there was really a lot of tension starting to flare up of, well, you got to stay home because of your cushy office job during COVID, but I still had to come in. I still had to punch buttons. I still had to pop rivets. Right. And so I think he was trying to temper some of that a little bit within Tesla, but it's a tricky position right now with those kind of kind of jobs and and as you mentioned with tech and and service and it's it's an interesting time to 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 be in that leadership role isn't it oh oh for sure and and the examples you just used they're really good um examples uh because when when uh leaders come to me executives come to me to to ask about this issue you know, it may surprise some people I know to 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 learn that like uh, I don't always come down on one side or the other. You know, I my advice to them is you got to do what's right for you, and you you can pick 
the side you want to be on, you know, I'm going to encourage you to be as, as flexible as possible. That's first. And then as, and as genuine as possible about it. So I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had a conversation with a client who said, well, I'm ready to bring everyone back and we're about to announce, um, you know, a five day a week policy. And I said, okay, uh, let me stop you there for a second. Um, where did you come up with that idea? Well, you know, I went and I talked to, you know, my board and they thought that this was the best idea for us. And I said, well, did you talk with your um, employees about it? Did you survey them? Do you see sort of where their minds are at these days, you know? And, and they said to me, no, we, we haven't done that. And I said, well, you know, you can do what you want, but my suggestion is, you know, that you do a quick survey with your employees, sort of see what they would be comfortable with, how they feel, you know, what would happen if you went to a three-day policy, a four-day policy, a five-day policy. Because to be honest with you, your board is comprised of other executives, and I, I'm not sure that's the right perspective to 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 rely on here. And also, you know, when you message this, you're going to have to talk about, you know, the needs of your organization and why it's important for people to be here. Because they're going to be thinking in their back of their minds, "I did my job just fine at home, so why do you need me here?" And, and what's going to be the message that's going to resonate with them around that point. And, you know, just to, to close the loop on that story, the client surveyed the employees. No one was interested in coming in five days a week. And it would have been a total disaster if they had rolled it out. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they rolled out a three-day program instead. And then, you know, they've, they've added all this additional programming that I think will be really meaningful to their employees. But it's it, you have to be genuine. I mean, I, I've talked to leaders who said, well, it's important for us to have people in so they could learn. They could watch how senior people do their jobs. You know, they could be mentored. And my response to them is always like, well, how much of that did you do before? Right. And if you've never done it, Who's going to believe that you're going to start doing it now as part of a effort to get people back into the office? And trust me, I've, I've, I've talked to people in those situations who've gone forward and, you know, employees quickly figure out that the mentoring is not going to happen. And people come into the office and they close their doors and, you know, they take conference calls on Zoom from their desks and other, you know, assorted stories. So, you, you really, if you're running a business and you're debating what to do on these policies, like you really got to think about your own culture and your own needs. And, you know, I strongly suggest like getting data and feedback from your employees and incorporating them into the decision and, you know, really making them feel heard, you know, and, and how you go about this. Those are ways I can't guarantee success, but certainly those are ways to help yourself be more successful when you're, you know, implementing difficult decisions. I think that is outstanding advice. And uh, I think this is going to be a good spot here to, to take a quick break and uh, pay some bills. So uh, we're going to run some commercials here real quick. 
And on the other side, we'll come back and continue our conversation with Peter Raybar. All right, folks, uh, here we are back with Peter Raybar of the Raybar Group. Uh, you didn't catch the previous uh, conversation there. I suggest you go back and listen to that, uh, talking about uh, return to office mandates uh, and, and how to better uh, communicate those and facilitate those as, as you are looking uh, for, for your personal policy for your organization. Uh, Peter gave us some really good advice there, which I think uh, every leader should uh, should implement. But kind of the, the flip side of that, and you mentioned the the hiring or the employment numbers there. Um, I think one of the pieces that employers are struggling with, and this is just kind of my anecdotal perspective here. I'm not as deep into this as as you are by any stretch, but I think one of the pieces that a lot of employers are struggling with right now is. I don't think at any point in time in history have employees had so much power. They've not had as much information. They've not had so many tools and they've not had the ability to where if they don't find the job that they're looking for to be hired into, you know, for a few hundred dollars and, and uh, a couple of hours uh, on, on uh, Wix or Squarespace or whatever they choose, they can start their own business and become their own employer. So what are some of these hiring trends and, and, and employee uh, uh, tactics you see that are, are starting to kind of creep in here? Well, I think you, you summarize a lot of the issues really well, Earl. I mean, it is fascinating to talk to people as they are, you know, uh, plotting their next step. And, and I feel really lucky to, to, to be able to do that every day. Um, people are thinking a lot about who they want to work for and, and what they want to do and how they want to do it. You know, we're at, coming out of the crisis phase of the pandemic, you know, everybody's reevaluating the, the most important aspects of their their lives whether it's you know where they live who they're friends with you know what kind of car they're driving um and and work is such a big part of life right and and yeah. you know where they're working and who they're working for and i think the key here um in hiring and this goes back to the trust proposition that we we started off the show uh, talking about is that people want to work for um, companies where they're going to feel respected and treated fairly, paid equitably, um, and and generally like rewarded for their their contributions, right? And and feeling respected is like a very very big part of that, and so. You know, when you look at, you know, the stories about Elon Musk um, that seem to be in the news every single day, including today, I was just reading one where he fired one of his top engineers because the engineer told him in a meeting that his uh, tweet engagement is decreasing because maybe he's not that popular anymore. 
and he just fired the guy in the middle of you know a, a meeting. So uh, people don't want to work for bosses like that, you know, and 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 maybe you know he thinks that that's a good idea to set the tone, but you know, trust me, that's not going to work in recruitment. Um, so you know, you have these employees now who have salary information, uh, and and that's coming from a variety of, of states where that's now required, like New York is one of them where employers are required to post salary ranges and it also exists in California and in Colorado. And uh, I predict that's gonna spread throughout the country, frankly. Um, and uh, you know they have salary information that they're getting either from postings or mostly from other employees. So you, you also have the younger generations in the workplace who are openly sharing data with each other on salaries. Now, I've never shared my salary with any of my colleagues, um, but I have clients who do that regularly. I have clients who show me spreadsheets of all their colleagues' salaries. Um, so, you know, there's that data point. You have sites like Glassdoor and others where employees are posting comments, sometimes responsibly, sometimes I would say irresponsibly. Uh, and and there's just a ton of data points out there, right, for, for employees to make these decisions. And, and that's very difficult for companies to deal with. And that's why it's, you know, very important to, you know, um, think about how you treat your employees and how you message that and how you betray it and how you just live it every day in your, in your company. Because if, if you're not, you're going to be called on it and, and, and you're going to lose employees over it and you're not going to be able to, you know, recruit employees because of that. Well, and I think that that pay thing is such an important piece because you know, I'm I'm a little bit on the old school side there. Well, I, I used to be a little bit more on the old school side there where, you know, that was, you know, that was kind of private business. You don't share that. You know, if you get a bonus or something, that's between you and your boss. But, you know, when when President Obama uh, back in 2009 signed the, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act uh, into law, uh, I remember reading the, the history on that. And, and are, are you familiar uh, with, with that act? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the story behind that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And and I, I'll let you kind of fill in any more uh, uh, details you like there. But like for the listeners, like, I mean, essentially, um, the, the only way that Lily Ledbetter found out that, that she was being underpaid was because uh, a co-worker just happened to share their uh, information. Um, and that kind of triggered the whole turn of events. And it's like, if, if you're not sharing this pay information, uh, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to be taken advantage of, right? Oh, well, I think that's, that's definitely, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're really close to it. And, um, it's, it's been really interesting watching the reaction of companies to these laws. Um, there's been a real collective freak out over having to publish this information, but, I've, I've worked with companies, you know, Colorado's had this law for two years now, you know, and Colorado has been a huge, you know, hotbed of growth uh, uh, for companies and jobs over the, you know, especially during the, the uh, main 
uh, crisis years of the pandemic. There was a lot of people moving there, you know, and and these laws didn't stop that, and they didn't hurt companies, you know, that were based there or doing work there. They, I think, I would argue, helped them. And there is initial data, you know, at least from like the recruiting websites, you know, so it's it's pretty raw, but job listings with salary information are getting a ton more traffic than ones without. And there's also, you know, been articles about, you know, how, you know, uh, browsing through job listings is now an activity akin to like looking at, you know, real estate listings, you know, it's like a pleasure activity for some people just to see what's out there and what's going on. But for, for a company, you know, it's not something you should be afraid of. It's not something that's going to change how you do business. Um, but you better be damn sure that, you know, everything's in order. <laughs> so it's an important time to make sure, you know, go back, see how people are being paid, see, you know, look at the experience levels, look at, you know, the ranges, the bands, make sure it all makes sense. Because if it doesn't, that's where the problems come in. And, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, for some companies, that's hard. And, and so they'll have to they'll have to figure it out, but ultimately they, they will be in a better place. <laughs> well, so, I mean, it, it's interesting to hear you say it because I agree, you know, and, and it's been my experience, you know, doing, doing leadership development, talking about diversity and inclusion. But I think the way you put that there was perfect for some organizations. It's hard. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious in your experiences and, and, you know, listeners, this is just, you know, Peter's ideas, why do you think that it's so hard for an organization to to do these things? Because it seems like, you know, there's all this evidence that you pointed out that it's the right thing to do. You'd think it would be easy. Why do you think it's hard for them to do these things? Oh, boy, that's that's <laughs> we could do a whole nother episode on that. Um, <laughs> well, I, look, I mean, you're dealing with human beings. So let's start there, you know, and um you're, there's a lot of bias that's that's built in, um, and there's a lot of I think with a lot of leaders, they don't like doing things just because they're being told to do it, whether it's by a government agency or a group of employees or a union or whatever. You know, there's there's always that built-in resistance too. Um, in some industries, it's just flat out difficult because there are factors that come into play that are not so easily dealt with. So like, I'll give you one example. Um, I, 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 I do a lot of work. I used to do a ton of work, but now I still do, you know, a good amount of work in, in television with TV personalities or, you know, even radio personalities, or I represent a lot of podcast people, hosts. Um, there, there are just, factors that contribute to salary that are just not so straightforward. You know, some of them have to do with the appeal of a particular personality. Some of them have to do with what market they came from, you know, what market they started in, you know, so there's, there's these trailing factors that contribute to salary levels. And, and so that those are factors employers consider. And now these laws are really trying to eliminate those. And so, 
that's a difficult exercise for some of these leaders to understand. And and the laws are really going after these like systematic long-term, you know, bias issues that have created equal pay uh, problems. Um, but for some leaders, you know, they they uh, they they, they there's there's a variety of reasons. I, I wish I could give you a, a clear answer to that, but I I think you know. In some cases, it's it's innocent and sort of related to, you know, some some industry specific things. But obviously, in a lot of cases, it's it's not. Um, and and so we got to root those problems out and keep keep working on them. And I think these laws will be tremendously helpful in doing that. They're not going to solve the problem, but they will shed a lot of light on on the issues for sure. Yeah, no, I think you you did a good job there. I mean, uh, the the quick couple minute version there, I think that was a really good job with it because you're right. I mean, it, it's multifaceted. Every situation has its own reasons. Every organization, uh, you know, people are complicated, right? We're always uh, make that point. We're we're complicated creatures and complicated situations dealing with complicated creatures and complicated situations. So a- every one of them is going to be different. There's no one one size fits all solution. Uh, yeah. And, and look, I mean, the risk, again, I would say to companies is if you don't handle it the right way, you're going to, I, I wouldn't even worry so much about the lawsuit. Uh, you know, that's like clients always get surprised when I say like, let's not talk about the lawsuit for a second. <laughs> okay. Because I'm a lawyer and I say, let's not talk about the lawsuit for a second. Let's talk about the fact that if someone discovers, let's say a highly, here, I'll give you an example I deal with all the time, a highly talented, highly respected, highly performing female executive who has been historically underpaid compared to her male colleagues. And she discovers that, you know, if you don't address that issue, you're going to lose her. And if you lose her, you're going to lose other women who are in the same position. We're going to start asking the same questions. And then you're going to potentially have a problem of being known as a company that is not friendly to women. Yep. Because if someone looks at your LinkedIn uh, movements or trade, uh, you know, news about personnel moves, they'll see, you know, wow, you know, 10 women left this company in the last month. Why is that happening? You know, and people are just going to form their own conclusions about it and, and they're not going to be good. So um, so the, the real issue is you're going to lose good people. And, you know, when you have a three percent unemployment rate, like it's going to take a long time to, to replace them. It's going to take a long time to restore your reputation and, and deal with these issues. So like you you should get ahead of if you're smart, you're going to get ahead of these these issues. You're going to have an eye out for them. You're not going to complain when the laws come out. You're just going to get ahead and do the work, you know, to, to make sure you're in the right position. hundred percent. I love that. I love that. Uh, well, Peter, we've been chatting here for a little over uh, 40 minutes here. And uh, I'm just kind of curious before we close out, is there anything that you'd like to leave listeners with that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet? Well, I, the, the one concept I would say, you know, for leaders, uh, of businesses is, and and I think it's apparent in everything we've talked about here today, is that there's no going back to 
the pre-pandemic definition of normal. And if that's what you're trying to do right now, then you're setting yourself up for failure. That's going to be an endless struggle because nothing in anybody's lives is the same. You know, no one could look at their lives and say it's the same as it was before because, you know, maybe they've moved, maybe they're in a different job, maybe they've lost good friends and family members. Um, you know, everything has changed in some degree and some in very different degrees. And work is not immune from that. So, if you're a leader looking to set, you know, the culture and the policies, like don't look at it from a 2019 lens. Look at it from a 2023 lens. Be aware of what's happening now. Be willing to listen. Be willing to admit that you don't know everything. And and be willing, you know, I think most importantly, to to give a little flexibility and 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 have some understanding for what people are going through. There's still people going through very difficult times. There are still parents whose kids get banned from school if they have a fever. You know, I mean there's there's a variety of things that people are dealing with in their personal lives. So I, I, you know, it's a hard time to be a manager and a leader, but at the same time, it's, it's very exciting. You know, it's a great opportunity, you know, to, to reset a culture and build a, a culture. Uh, but you really need to be living in the now, you know, and figuring out what the new normal is, not trying to go back to the old normal. Yeah. No, that is outstanding advice. Outstanding advice. Uh, so people want to find out more about you. They want to find out more about the Raybar Group, the the services you offer, um, the the articles that you write, the the interviews that you've conducted. What is a great place for them to find out all that information? Um, well, you know, my LinkedIn uh, page has has you know probably the the best collection of all that stuff, but also my my website, theraybargroup.com. Uh, is a good place for that and has my contact information. And uh, also I'll be launching a, a newsletter for executives, uh, hopefully I think by the end of the month uh, on Stubstack. And, uh, you know, so that'll be, you know, a fun way to interact with, with executives uh, and talk about, you know, trends in the workplace. So all of those places, I'm, I'm always available. I'm pretty responsive and, uh, you know, I love talking about the workplace and, and today was really fun. So I'm glad we had a chance to do it. Outstanding. Well, we'll make sure we get those links on there. And so everything's just a, uh, a click of the way for the listeners. And uh, uh, I'll echo your last comments there. Uh, I had a blast with this conversation. It's been uh, amazing. Time has flown. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for being uh, a guest and, and, and doing the work you do. Uh, it, it's so desperately needed uh appreciate you filling that that niche there and and doing the work that you're doing uh championing these causes and uh just thank you for being an outstanding guest and this conversation with me and my listeners today on this episode of the responsible leadership podcast thank you all well all right folks there you have it another great show about responsible leadership I really appreciate you listening, and if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. 
That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electric acid.